on. I, I tell you what. Yeah, he's the man. That's right. God is good. Well, welcome everybody. If you're visiting here with us today, and if this might be your first time, I'd. Um, my name is Steve, and uh, I'd love to have you fill out that little card. And um, since the plates have already gone by, if you haven't filled it out, bring it up and just uh, give it to me. I'd love to be aware that you're here for the first time. Uh, we've been doing a series called um, Royal Shift, and uh, the essence of this shift is, well, we've kind of moved from um, lesser understanding of who we are in Christ to uh, better understanding. That would be the easiest way to put it, uh, that we have seen ourselves as, well, uh, less valuable and unimportant and insignificant uh, till we've begun to see how Jesus actually sees us uh, a very important and very significant. Uh, he gave his life to purchase us. That would suggest that you have probably greater value than you may yet understand. Uh, so this royal shift is really a shift into um, uh, the people of God recognizing that we really are a chosen generation and a royal, there's the word, royal shift, royal priesthood. And uh, so we've been after this notion of coming into greater revelation of who we are uh, in Christ. Um, this morning, as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of communion, I want to share just sort of a meditation, just some ideas. They're sort of random, though I hooked them together. Uh, this notion that we've been destined for greatness or destined for glory, uh, and yet we're empowered to walk in humility. And there's many in the church, you know, they... They quote that uh, scripture, you know, God won't share his glory with anybody. And whereas that is true at one level, uh, that simply means that God won't share his glory with another if you're going to steal his glory. But on the other hand, God is very much interested in sharing his glory uh, with his people. And that's what makes us royal. That, was, that is what makes us uh, significant. In fact, Jesus uh, said in John chapter 7, just comes to my uh, mind, I have given them the glory that you have given unto me. Well, um, that's because you're probably more unique and special than you uh, have yet understood. Uh, so this notion of destined for greatness is really what I want to talk about, and I promise you that if you get a hold of the revelation of who you are in his eyes, it will not puff you up and won't make you prideful. It will humble you to the nth degree uh, when you really understand who you are. So the first thing that I want to share this morning uh, is that God created each of us with an end in mind, with the end in mind. Um, my wife is here, and she built a house. I've said this on a couple of occasions, and we didn't start just by getting bricks and mortar and everybody lined up and all the subs and say, okay, go at it. We developed a, a vision of what we thought the end would look like. It's called a plan. Uh, and then, based upon the plan, we set, us, set about developing everything that we needed in order to accomplish the plan. Well, that's just a silly illustration, but it's true with God that God created each one of us with the end in mind. You see, God is outside of time. Uh, we're in time and space, you know, that time warp continuum thing. We see things as, you know, chronological, step one has to happen before step two, and you know, I'm 20 years old, and then I become 21. In other words, we're very linear in our thinking. Uh, but God, on the other hand, is outside of that realm of time. I think that's why Peter uh, may have said in one of his epistles, a thousand years is like a day to God. 
and vice versa. In other words, he's not constrained by time. And the implication of that as it relates to he created us with the end in mind, he sees you the way you already are. You see yourself the way you're already not or, or the way you're not yet. Uh, see, to say it another way, um, he sees us through the lens of who we already are which means he's not so hung up with our insecurities or our, our failures or, or our foibles or you know, any of those kinds of things because God sees from the perspective from the beginning actually uh, to the end. A couple of scriptures I want to share to sort of underscore that, that God looks at each one of us and sees us as we already are. Is that good news for anybody? God sees you as you already are in eternity. Now, we limp around and go, oh, it's me, you know, golly, I just, look what I did, look what I said, look what I should have done and didn't. I mean, that's kind of the time thing that we're in, but God sees us very differently, and in fact, he sees through this lens of who we already are. In fact, Romans 8, uh, verses 29 and 30, I'll just tag them quickly for you. Those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Now, what does that mean? That means way back yonder, before time ever began, God set about to bring people into a perfected state. That, that those whom he foreknew or predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified through the redemptive work of Christ, and those whom he justified... He also glorified. God has already done it so that when he sees you, he doesn't see you over here. He sees you in your perfected state already. Now he's able to see all, everything in between for sure, but God sees us through the lens um, of who we already are. Romans 9, verses 22 and 24 say this, God chose to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now who are they? The vessels of mercy. Uh, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also to the Greeks, the Gentiles. You see, God chose us to display his glory in us and through us from the very beginning of time. God, God has a lens that when he looks at all of your uh, shame and insecurities and stuff, he sees through Jesus, the lens of Jesus, he sees you who you already are in him. Gracious land of Goshen, I spend so much of my time beating myself up for not being perfect. Anybody know that besides me? We beat ourselves up and, and God has already uh, uh, predestined and called and justified and glorified us so that we can get on with the business of understanding who we are and living this life by the power of um, of his spirit. Now, one final verse. God created each one of us with the end in mind. Ephesians 1.4, we preach through the book of Ephesians. It said, He, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the earth that we should be holy and blameless and live before him in love. So how does God see us right now? Holy and blameless and just filled, oozing with his love. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is if we ever, by revelation, really, really understand all of that, it changes how we see ourselves, how we see God, and how we see the people around us that are very different. You know, the folks that irritate you. Um, 
Okay, so God created each one of us with an end in mind, and he sees that end right now. Secondly, uh, we are his inheritance. A couple of thoughts there. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, light, uh, uh, photon, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, photizo, by the photographs of who you already are in the heavenly realm. See, that's what enlightenment is. When you see something about yourself that goes beyond where you are presently, you begin to see yourself for who you already are in the heavenly realms. That's what Paul was praying in Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your mind or your heart uh, would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, we are his inheritance right now. You see, God has chosen us for greatness and to live in his glory. Now you think, that's just pompous. No, no, that's really who you are uh, in Christ. Now in... Uh, uh, 1 John 1 or 4, 17, um, we have been commissioned to be just like him in the world. Now, in order for that to happen, to live just like him in the world, we have to see ourselves the way he sees us, or we feel that we always fall short. Well, we do, but he's already won the day. Let me give you the scripture in 1 John uh, 1 or 4, 17. It says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, uh, because as he is, so are we in the world. Now, what that means is, is that in the day of judgment, people go, oh, judgment, I knew it, I'm in trouble. No, 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 Jesus came to judge you already. You've been judged at the cross. You have been judged guilty by the high court of heaven and set free in spite of it. That's the judgment that has already come into the world. Now, on the day of judgment, when those who have not come into uh, Christ and been protected from that, on that day, you're going to have boldness. You're just going to stick out your chest and go, oh, can you imagine that Jesus chose me and he has set me free from the judgment that everybody else is getting? Is that good news for anybody? You see, that's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. And as, as he is now in the world, so are we in the world. Which means as, as he walked, Jesus walked on the earth, uh, now we walk on the earth in the very same way that he did. How can we do that? Because he lives in us. You see, when we were redeemed through the blood of Jesus by the working of the cross, the finished work of the cross, God said, not guilty. And on that basis, the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh. And those who had been prepared by the redemptive work of Christ received Him, the Spirit of God, who now takes up residence and lives in our lives. So that as we walk in this realm, we carry the very presence of God. You go, oh, man, that is wild. Can that be true? It is true. That's what God said is true, that we now, because of what Christ has done and by the reception of the Spirit, everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. He goes with you when you're at the gym. He works out with you. He shops with you. He's there. And see, as he was in the world, so are we, representing the love of God to multitudes of people. 
sharing the love of God as we have opportunity, the good news that Christ did this, not just for the likes of me, but he's done it for the likes of you too. And the invitation is for you to come on in and taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, that's the good news, that we are now his inheritance. Um, and we have been chosen for greatness and for glory. Now, let me illustrate this uh, with this parable called the parable of the the pearl of great price. Most of you are familiar with it. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Very short parable. Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, uh, who when he had found one pearl of immense value, of great price, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. The kingdom of God is like a merchant who was seeking after fine pearls and he found one and said, I've got to have this and I'm willing to give everything for it. Now, if you've read that parable and done any study around it, the question then is asked, is the pearl Jesus? Um, our willingness to give all that we have to follow him. And at one level, we would have to say, yes, Jesus is the pearl of immense value. And when a man sees that value or a woman sees that value, they're willing to give everything to follow him, to have him. But there are others who ask the question, is the pearl his people? A willingness for Jesus to give up everything to redeem a people. Is the pearl Jesus the immense value or are his people the pearl of great price, of immense value? The answer to that question is singular. It's yes. <laughs> it's both. You see, the pearl of great price, the value of the treasure is seen in the price uh, to, uh, paid to get it. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a merchant that seeks after the, the, the thing of great value. The best answer is actually uh, yes, uh, Jesus is the pearl of great price, and yes, you are the pearl of great price. Jesus gave it all for you, and we give it all for him to follow him. The gospel, the kingdom of God, therefore, is like a, purchase, a, a merchant who is after purchasing a pearl of such immense value that people couldn't even fully understand it. Now, fourthly, our greatness and our glory in Christ always leads you to humility, always humbles a person. False humility is rampant in the contemporary church. Oh, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And, and whereas that's true at one level, it's never really about us. Jesus determines never to do anything without us. It's like the farmer, you know, that uh, he, he said, here's my, here's my field, and the farmer was working in his field, and it was all uh, um, cultivated and no weeds in it. And the pastor came over and said, you know, uh, you know God will do the work for you. And the, the farmer turned around. And he said, see that field over there, son? That's the one God's tending, and it was full of weeds. Now, the point is, <laughs> when, when, when we have this pearl of great price and when he has us, we are co-laborers with him. God is in us, making himself known through us. We carry his presence everywhere uh, we go. Um, understanding our greatness always humbles us. Jesus uh, has co-commissioned us or commissioned 
um, us to partner with him in the kingdom of God. You did not get called into the kingdom for no reason. Jesus has a supreme purpose for having redeemed you unto himself. He wants to co-labor with you to accomplish something that only you can do by his power and by his strength. That's why I spoke to someone this morning. And I could speak to every one of you. Because if we understood our destiny of why he chose us, why he called us, why he justified us, why he glorified us, it's always that you and I could share his purposes with the people around us. Now Satan fears the church that will gain back her confidence and begin to restore the ruined cities. Some of you have within your grasp certain spheres of influence that only you have. And the question is, what will you do with it? Will you neglect the gift of God that is in you, or will you by His power and strength accomplish only what you can accomplish by Him? He works, the enemy works overtime to tell us uh, that um, how weak the church is. The enemy works overtime to tell us how dark the days are. The enemy works overtime to tell us how angry our Father is with us. And I'd like to declare to you boldly today all of those are absolute lies from the pit of hell. God's not angry with his people. God's chosen us and drawn us and by the blood of Jesus turned away his anger. You all know the theological word propitiation? It's an old King James word. That's a big, long word. What does that mean? 1 John verse chapter 2 says this. Little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins and not only our sins but for the sins of the whole world what does that mean the propitiation is the means by which god has sovereignly in his holy grace determined to cover your sin from his sight and secondly to turn his wrath away from you and put it on another by the name of jesus that's propitiation he has set you free he calls you now holy and righteous and blameless in his eyes because of the propitiatory, is that a word, uh, work that Jesus um, accomplished. Humility isn't thinking of yourself uh, less, it's thinking less of yourself. The grace of God always humbles a man without degrading him, but always exalts a person without inflating them. Father, I want to thank you that you are gifting us in measure by the revelation of who you are and who we are in Christ. Father, today as we take a few moments and not only contemplate these truths from your word, Lord, we choose to think upon that man, Jesus, and what he has done on our behalf. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he was eating with his disciples and he took the bread and after he gave thanks for it, he broke it, saying, this is my body 
given for you. As often as you eat this bread, do so in remembrance of me. And likewise, after he had eaten with his disciples, he took the cup and pouring out the wine, he said, this now represents the blood of the new covenant, the more superior covenant. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus given and broken for you, the blood of Jesus spilled so that you might be clean, new. God sees us with a new lens. Elders, would you come and those who are helping uh, serve those who are our prayer partners this morning will have prayer teams available for prayer and for blessing the people of God after you've served yourself uh, and after uh, you have uh, had communion. Can you bring that over there? Take that over there. Thank you. Um, you can come uh, for prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you have already provided for us. Lord, we are humbled by your amazing grace that you would condescend to see us differently than we really were, and you've made us different now uh, than we really are. God, thank you uh, for what you have done with us and uh, through us and for us. Lord, as we have set these uh, elements aside now, the bread and the wine, would you use them for uh, your glory? Lord, would you heal people today as they come as the result of touching the body and the blood of Christ? Would you re release encouragement today on those who may need it? God, would you speak a word that some are desperately listening for? God, your sheep hear your voice and they know you. So speak tenderly to your people. Lord, we set these elements apart now for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask this morning that you would come down the, the middle aisle. If you would like to be served communion where you're seated, you may do that. Just be sure to hold your hand up as one of our uh, elder teams come by. Let's begin up there in the balcony, and uh, why don't you all come down. And as you come down the middle aisle, then make two lines around each of the tables, which will expedite things. Now, elders, you're going to have to move out from in back of uh, that table so that they can uh, come through there. These tables are now open. Prepare your hearts to receive all that Jesus has for you today. Oh, my love is yours. 
slip out if there's anybody here with your shoulders that are bad. I think the Lord wants to touch and to heal some folks. So if you have bad shoulders, um, just remain standing. <laughs> Everyone else, uh, sit down if you would. And uh, anyone with back pain, um, might, I don't know if it's a disc or, you know, structure, or, um, separation, Lord, let your presence be steward, stewarded in them and re be released through them. And all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day today. We have some more uh, prayer teams up here. If you'd like special prayer, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful day. Enjoy.